A reading from the third chapter of Acts, beginning at the first verse. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer at three o'clock in the afternoon, and a man lame from birth was being carried in. People would lay him daily at the gate of the temple, called the Beautiful Gate, so that he could ask for alms from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go in the temple, he asked them for alms. Peter looked intently at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Jumping up, he stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who used to sit and ask for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. The word of the Lord. Two things, because I can't help myself. One, I don't think I've ever called that lady my sister before. And second, I'm wondering if it was purposeful that somebody made me follow my own child in the pulpit on Father's Day. I'll have to find out later. Our second reading comes from the Gospel according to St. Matthew. It's in the 10th chapter, and it begins at the first verse. There we find these words. Then Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to cure every disease and every sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who was also known as Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Cananean, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the good news, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without payment, give without payment. Take no gold or silver or copper in your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for laborers deserve their food." Whatever town or village you enter, find out who in it is worthy, and stay there until you leave. As you enter the house, greet it. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet as you leave that house or town. Truly I tell you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace to you all in peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen.
We begin with a test question this morning. How many, show of hands, how many of you have heard of this thing called artificial intelligence? Oh, more than two. I, I know what some of you are thinking. You know, I've heard of artificial intelligence and I'm looking at it right behind the pulpit right now. Right? But apart from that, some of you have surely heard of recent advances in this artificial intelligence and how this kind of computer capability may soon be able to replace human beings in many workaday jobs that we've been accustomed to dealing with a real living person. I go to the McDonald's up in Bernalillo where I live and I actually get my meal without actually talking to anybody. It's all machine driven now. And I suppose in some aspects of life that's where we're headed. And you may have heard speculation that this AI, artificial intelligence, may even threaten human existence one day by turning off the electricity and the water and so on in order to preserve itself rather than its human competitors. Such rumors go about. But, sadly, I must admit that I haven't been paying much attention to the media's talking heads as they've been debating AI in these recent months. It wasn't that I was, avoid, uh, I was avoiding this artificial intelligence topic. It's just that I've needed a break from those talking heads, so I haven't paid attention. But then a friend of mine right here in our congregation this very week shared a newspaper article from this past Monday's Albuquerque Journal. There it is. It, it comes, oddly, from the World and Weather Department of the Albuquerque Journal. I guess they don't have a religion department anymore. But... The headline, although you probably can't read it where you're sitting, the headline reads thus. AI chatbot leads church service in Germany. That got my attention. I learned that in Firth, Germany, there was a gathering of Protestant church leaders, many Lutherans, but others as well. On one of the days during their gathering, they were all called to a 40-minute worship service. Don't get hung up on 40 minutes, Okay. 40-minute worship service, which was led entirely by an artificial intelligence bot, as they call it. And that bot had composed all of its own music, sorry Tom, and prayers, and sermon. The two closing paragraphs of this article are what I'd really like to share with you. These paragraphs read as follows. The experimental church service showed the limits to implementing AI in church or in religion. There was no real interaction between the believers and the chatbot, which wasn't able to respond to the laughter or any other reactions by the churchgoers, as a human pastor would have been able to do. Ha! Score one, right? And then one of the participants said this in the last paragraph. The pastor or the minister is in the congregation, lives with them, buries them, knows them from the beginning, said one of the worshipers. Artificial intelligence cannot do that. It does not know the people of the congregation. My goal with you this morning is not to define the pluses and minuses of AI's advent in our time. I stopped being a techie 25 years ago, and, and so I can no longer speak with any kind of authority. I've become a technical dinosaur. I would like, however, to speak of the newspaper's quotation that artificial intelligence cannot know and cannot interact with people. 
Not in any meaningful way. That's because our interaction, one with the other, is crucial. It's crucial to the understanding of Jesus' word and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and how that spirit is moving in our lives. Consider that even as I'm talking before you at this moment, you're communicating with me in response. It's happening, right? Sometimes you show me that you disagree with what I say by wagging your head or showing me a sour face. I can see that. I face the other direction, right? Other times I receive a different message when you nod or when you smile. Speaking of nodding, when you nod off, right? You send the preacher a message as well. Either the person standing here is intensely boring at that moment, which can happen, or you're telling the preacher what a great filling breakfast you had with plenty of bacon and sausage, right? And off you go. Brothers and sisters, communication between people has always been necessary to convey the power and love of Jesus Christ. Consider our text, read for us this morning from the third chapter of Acts by Brittany, and what she told us was about a man who had never once in his life been able to walk. It wasn't a recent thing, never once. Obviously, in his day and in his time, he was also unable to work. So his habit was to sit outside the temple's door, gate if you will, and he begged for money as the faithful passed by on their way to evening prayers. Three o'clock in the afternoon is when the Jewish tradition uh, provided for evening prayers. Some folks, as they passed by, would give the man money. But as you know from your experiences at Albuquerque's red traffic lights, Offering a little money to someone is not the same as having a meaningful conversation with them. And it certainly doesn't change that person's life in any way. Consider, if you give somebody a dollar or five dollars or whatever the denomination is at that red light, will you see them there again tomorrow? Will have anything changed in their life or in their habits? The life of that unnamed man described in Acts did not change as he begged day after day there by the temple's door. Later in Acts, if you read further, you will find that in the Bible's account that this man had been lame and begging by that door for 40 years. A long time by any description. And then, after that long time, the day came when Peter and John happened along. Early in their ministry, It's only chapter 3 of Acts. It's not long after the ascension. They were also, with others, on their way to afternoon prayers. The disabled man asked for alms. That is a handout. He did what he always had done. But Peter announced that he had no silver and no gold to share. And you heard in Matthew's account, that's exactly how Jesus sent his disciples out. No silver, no gold, not even copper. Nothing but the word. As Jesus' disciples, these two went out into the world carrying only the message that the kingdom of heaven had drawn near, as Matthew puts it. So Peter asked this man to fix his attention directly on him. Peter wanted that one-on-one, person-to-person relationship. The disciple then declared healing in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Then when Peter invited him, the miraculous did in fact happen. 
the man was able to stand up and walk. And he did much more than walk, but we'll come to that. In Matthew's 10th chapter, we heard Jesus tell his disciples to go first, first, to the people of Israel. That seems sort of cruel. Wouldn't Jesus send them out to the whole world? Well, he would eventually. As this third chapter unfolds, however, Peter and John appear to be faithful to Christ's initial instruction. Israel is where these two disciples' ministries started, and it started right in the heart of, of, uh, of Israel, at the temple itself. But that's not where their ministry eventually went. You may know that Peter's ministry would end in Rome, quite a distance from Jerusalem and, and uh, the temple. More about that in a moment. This weekend, in this and two of our other three worship services, we are commissioning seven people into our congregation's Stephen ministry. One of the seven was also commissioned to be a Stephen leader. That occurred at 9.30. Most of us are aware that Stephen ministry is a part of what goes on in this church. But if pressed, I dare say most of us could not fully define what those involved in Stephen ministry really do. Well, consider the similarity to what Peter did and what Stephen ministers do as Peter was about to enter his place of worship. Like Peter, our Stephen ministers build a one-on-one relationship with a person in need. Usually that person is part of or, or close to our own congregation, but not always. Sometimes there are others living in our community who seek out a Stephen minister and we serve them as well. And then, in a confidential manner, the Stephen minister declares the kingdom of God to be near. They may not use those words exactly, but by their presence and by their loving demeanor and by their sticking close to Jesus' teaching of how to serve others, that message is conveyed. And then a relationship is built with what I call the afflicted person. The objective of the Stephen minister and their relationship with their care receiver, as it's called, is transformation. Transformation of the care receiver through the power of Jesus Christ to change a person's outlook on their life or to bring about healing. Now, I use that word afflicted. And and so let me define it. Let me define what it means for a person to be afflicted in our modern age. And I'll, I'll try three categories, just to trot them before you. First, some of us suffer from what I call emotional distress. This might be because we are living through a troubled marriage, or that in our household there's tension between a parent and a child, or there has been a loss of a loved one, or even difficulty with someone's employment, or many other causes that go along these lines that cause one to be emotionally troubled. The second category I call spiritual distress. Perhaps you're a person who cannot find God's answer to your prayers. Maybe your sense of belonging in the congregation isn't what it ought to be. That is, you feel like the man who sat outside the temple begging for 40 years, but you never found a brother or a sister among the many worshipers who passed by. Maybe you're someone who doesn't see God in worship even though you try and try. And then thirdly, and perhaps most obviously, 
there are those among us who are afflicted physically. There are even some who are young in years who are afflicted by medical conditions which do not have easily treated diagnoses. Others, as we age, deal with spinal conditions or knee or hip joints which cause near constant pain. And then there are those who have received the dreaded cancer diagnosis. When in any of these situations, or or others I've failed to name, when they come upon you, what do you do? Really, what do you do? Do you choose to sit at the periphery of the congregation, hoping someone will notice and throw you a spare coin in the form of a prayer now and then? Do you keep your affliction to yourself and hope that nobody will know the nature of your suffering? I think that man that Peter encountered had a little bit of that keep-it-to-yourself attitude in him. Perhaps that's why all these 2,000 years later, we still don't know his name. On the other hand, will you accept the power of Jesus Christ when someone like a Stephen minister offers an eye-to-eye, person-to-person relationship with you? You have all three options. Stephen ministers are not trained to bring miraculous healing to anyone, although we shouldn't really discount that possibility. God can do anything if God chooses. Rather, these highly trained people come to you, and they come with an acute ability to listen actively as you describe your afflictions, and then assist you as you discover how to achieve the transformation you seek. They share the power and love of Christ with you. The relationships these ministers foster are completely confidential between the two of you. Earlier I said that the communication between the minister and the person they serve is two-way. Well, you might ask, what can the afflicted one possibly say that would help the Stephen minister? Well, like the communication you offer to me during my message in the pulpit, your relationship with a Stephen minister, as it grows, strengthens the depth of a Stephen minister's heart and encourages them to even greater service to their brother or sister. But please notice what the man in Acts does after his affliction is gone, when that affliction is no more. That man no longer sits there by the gate looking for coins. Instead, he goes, my words, leaping and skipping into the temple itself. And you get the impression by the description, he's never been through the door before. He's always been on the outside. He's no longer looking for coins from the worshipers, but he becomes something of a worship leader himself. And when he does that, others begin to notice. Those who were routinely in the temple are filled with wonder and amazement wonder and amazement at what had changed in the life of that man who used to be outside on the ground and is now inside leaping into the air. Surely those people, when they saw this, began to ask questions. How had these changes come about? What is the power that that brought this to be? What made the difference in the way that man now lives his life? Then, Communication from the afflicted person is heard in two of the verses that Brittany read. First, the man's actions and attitude are noticed by all those who had known him these 40 years. Then, there are the words which describe the answer to their curious questions. 
they were filled with wonder and amazement. And in the Greek, the word for amazement is familiar to our ears. It sounds like shazam, right? The people were filled with awe. They were filled with awe at what God had done in this man's life. What Jesus initiated in Matthew's account, Peter and John expanded among the people of Israel as we heard from today's account in Acts. These acts of ministry started in Israel, but the power of the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth could not be contained among those people alone. As our Lord surely knew, the power of ministry of one to another would grow explosively. It would grow beyond Israel. It would grow to the Gentiles, to the Samaritans and to countless other peoples as well. Today, Stephen ministers are sent to proclaim the kingdom of heaven come near to our fellow members here at faith. But they, as I said, they also minister to other Christians who present themselves. And who knows how far the power of Christ's love will traverse the world in response. Who knows? Perhaps people 2,000 years from now will also know what happened near the doors to this church building. So the grand lesson of this day is that if we participate in serving one another and allowing ourselves to be served through Christ-led communication, the glory of God will spread from this place and eventually out to all the world. What Jesus Christ has instituted, artificial intelligence shall never overcome. And for that, we say thanks be to God. Finally, if you know yourself to be afflicted in any way, whether today or at some point in your future, if you would like to quietly explore the possibility of building a relationship with one of our Stephen ministers, please contact me or our local leader of Stephen ministers, Pam Zimmerman, who's waving her hand back there in the back row. There she is, good Lutheran in the back row. The conversations you hold with Pam or or with me will be confidential and may lead you through a gateway to a life filled with wonder and amazement as well. Pam and I would also love to talk with you if you'd like to become one of our growing number of Stephen ministers active in our congregation as well. May God be with you in this conversation. May God offer you healing and may God help you to heal others by maintaining the congregation as you move forward in his world. In his name we pray. Amen.